Hey everybody and welcome back to BRIM, a global community at the intersection of climate innovation and social justice. Today is the finale of season two of BRIM Labs. The 13 episodes recorded for season two combined with the 14 recorded for season one means we have 27 total stories recorded from all over the world. And we're really excited because this gives us a great sample size to think about you know, what are the common themes? How are people thinking similarly across the world, but potentially also differently? And what can we learn from each other? So we will be taking the summer to actually launch a new part of our vision at BRIM called our Social Action Lab. And this is a lab based on information that we've gathered from these stories, right? So the whole goal is to translate some of the stories and the themes that we've realized are common across multiple, and then actually generate those stories into community-based projects, real projects happening in the world. And we have our first few getting ready to launch. So um, I can't share more about that just yet, but in the next couple months, you should hear more from us about our flagship programs, the next evolution of what this storytelling platform will be, most likely starting with a short film that will describe and actually show you one of the projects we're working on. And then we'll see where we go from there. But it has been such an amazing journey going through these first two seasons with all of you since we started about a year and a half ago, which is crazy to think. It's been such an honor to, to have you all along for the ride. And I'm excited to see where we take it next. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrea Coutinho Lubac. She is an amazing climate activist from Brazil, and the two of us met in Egypt at COP27, the United Nations Conference. So from here on out, uh, you'll hear from her in a conversation we had, and uh, so excited for people to learn a little bit more about the progress unfolding in Brazil when it comes to climate action, especially with regard to the Amazon rainforest and some of the amazing frameworks that Andrea is building across the world uh, for people to start mobilizing together on a global level. All right, thank you so much for being here. Please get in touch with us over the summer if there are ways you'd like to get involved and we'll see what happens. Thanks everybody, take care. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with a very new friend, uh, Andrea Coutinho Lubac. And uh, Andrea, it's so nice to have you here. And thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for your invite. I feel very honored. I love podcasts and I'm so happy to be here with you, Thomas. <laughs> well, uh, the, the feeling is mutual. It's uh, It's been so great getting to know you more and more since we met at uh, COP27 
out in Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt, which seems like forever ago. But um, I remember the moment where we were, um, it was in that little zone off to the side, right? It was like, I think it was like the innovation zone or something like that. Uh, but a very fun space where lots of different types of panels were happening. But um, I thought your your panel um, focused on climate justice in the world of philanthropy um, was amazing. But we can get more into that and the amazing work you're doing um, across the world. But uh, if you don't mind, maybe you can take us back in time a little bit. Yeah. Tell us a little yeah. bit about you and um, your life growing up and uh, then we can dive into all the all the great work you're doing now. Yes, yes, I feel I feel uh, very happy with your memory because uh, when we were in Sherman Shake last year, um, lots of panels and events and interactions were happening, and uh, sometimes we we felt overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, I need to go to this event. I need to speak yeah. in this event. But I think we were in the right place in the right time, and we could be here today. And yeah, it was not a coincidence. It was like okay, let's let's do what we are doing together in the world in different countries and different continents. I feel very happy that you came to talk to me because if we are here today, it's because you came and talked to me. Thank you. Well, it's but, also because you you decided to listen to me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so looking to my history, I think uh, maybe the starting point is that I'm from a peripheral area in Brazil. I live in Rio. I'm based in Rio. I'm Brazilian from Rio de Janeiro. And I'm from a city called São Gonçalo. São Gonçalo, it's a, a metropolitan region uh, in Rio. So it's not the capital. It's another city in a big city. And with suburbans, with favelas, that favelas are like slums in Brazil, and where the social inequality is very high rate. But my parents, uh, despite of all the challenges, economic challenges, so they, they chose to give me a very good education. Uh, so they provide me good schools and good tools to, to study. And I think maybe this is my my starting point of where I am today because um, in Brazil it's quite different of the United States the public schools are not excellent and are not the best option uh, unfortunately because of the strikes because of the infrastructure so lots of factors make um, private school superiors and also uh, raising the inequality because it, no, it's not everybody that can pay Yeah, and so I, I I made very good schools and I my first option when I was 18 to 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 go to to the college was industrial chemistry. I'm not sure if I told you that. No, I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, it was a mistake. Not a mistake, but like I felt that I could be a good industrial chemistry professional, but I hate maths and I hate <laughs> it was not a was not I, I didn't have a future on that course and I changed courses. I, I I studied journalism in another university and here I am. I'm I'm very happy with this this change because uh, the journalism changed my life. 
Um, I love being a journalist. I love do what I do. I love communications and especially today, climate justice communications, because I believe that there is no just one way to communicate the climate crisis. We can, we can write, we can speak, we can teach, we can share, we can draw, whatever. We can do different strategies to communicate what, why the world is burning. And it's what I do today and what brings me here today. Amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I remember when you were speaking on the panel, immediately thinking that um, one of your strongest skill sets was your storytelling ability. And that's, um, you know, that's definitely where we started, you know, with Brim. It was very simple. Just we wanted to share and uplift stories. And that can be a very powerful strategy to get people excited and engaged, um, but also, you know, connected with each other across the entire world. And that's that's also an interesting piece about these UN conferences, right? Is, you know, I, um, we've talked about this, that there are, there are many parts of the, the conferences that are strange and, um, you know, can be depressing at points. Um, seemingly very counterproductive, but then there are also these amazing moments when, you know, we were able to meet when you connect with people from completely different perspectives, but over a common goal, right? Um, so I'm curious, you just got back from Germany, right? So you just got mm -hmm. back from Bonn. Uh, I wasn't able to go, but I, for for the people out there who maybe have never been to one of these conferences or, um, you know, want to go in the future or, you know, what are these conferences like? And um, can you tell us a little bit about what your experience was uh, at, in, in Germany a couple of weeks ago? Yes. Uh, a fun fact is like my friends, they are always they're always making jokes that oh I want to be a I want to be a journalist and sometimes uh, I I invite uh, to work with the environmental stuff because you travel a lot and I'm just <laughs> in my office all day long and I feel that climate change demands lots of events and discussions space of discussions because like Bond, what 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 is happening? What was happening Bond few weeks ago, few days ago? It, it just ended. So um, um, during during the year, so uh, there are two main events regarding global climate crisis. Uh, the COP where we met is usually at by the end of the year, and also a bond conference that it's also a, a United Nations conference and it's more focused on negotiations what what kind of negotiations so how how the poor countries and the rich countries can make a dialogue trying to adjust this, uh, the adaptation and mitigation policies in their countries and also the money uh how many money how 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 much money we have uh, to offer and to help and to assist the countries, the nations, the cities that are suffering in a disproportionate way uh, of the climate change. So um, I was not in this conference, but I was following up the news and also my friends from Brazil that were there. So uh, what I could see that was a very 
plural space and a small space as well, which is good because COP is very large event. So we, we yeah. it's like a crazy thing happened at the same time. And Bond, it's a very small, uh, it's much more, it's, it's a smaller space that the youth has a place. So uh, the African countries has a space and also the Latin America has a space. So lots of, uh, I think it's like made with a strategy to be more diverse and also plural in terms of decisions and negotiations. And then we can go to COP, uh, COP28 in Dubai with more tools and more negotiations to uh, other, other levels of negotiations to continue uh, the dialogue and the decisions and the policies and the problems and the solutions again. But uh, what I want to share with you that I was in a climate justice event uh, retreat before Bonn conference, and it was a space for funders, uh, funders from philanthropy sector. And we were discussing how we can spread better the resources regarding climate justice in the global south. Why? Because there are lots of millions of resources for climate change and climate justice, but they are blocked. And how can we unblock these resources uh, to address for the communities, the youth movements, and the groups, marginalized groups that need fast money to survive or to improve or to try to make a change in their work. So it was a very special time, just three days, but I love it. And I could meet, I could meet lots of other activists from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America. It was a very special time. That's great. And, and thank you for, for sharing about that. I think um, one of the people I've come into contact with recently um, he's from uh, from Lagos in Nigeria, Samuel Okori, and he was there. I don't know if he was at the retreat as well, but um, one of the big things that he has shared with me is that uh, one of the, the focus areas was this loss and damages fund, right? Mm -hmm. So um, this concept was developed at COP27 in Egypt, and technically, you know, countries agreed to it. And um, it's very in line with what you're talking about, right, of redistributing uh, funds from mm -hmm. the wealthier countries that are impacted less by climate change and sending funds to countries that need it now for, for adaptation, for resilience, for everything. So um, it's been interesting to follow along with that journey, right? What have you heard about how that's actually coming together, right? Because it's it's one thing to have countries kind of uh, agree to it <laughs> at a high level, but it's another thing to, you know, operationalize it and and bring it into the world, right? So yeah, how have you felt about the progress on that front? Yeah, um, I think there is a, a trust-based problem. And when I say that, it's, uh, I mean, I'm 32, you're 26, right? 28, I wish. 20, I wish. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 28. So we are both young people, uh, but uh, the philanthropy has a trust-based problem. That So how can I give millions of dollars for mm. a youth group? So do they, will they handle it wisely or will they 
make mistakes or would they uh, fail on the management of this resource? So it's, I understand both sides, but we have a trust-based problem in terms of who is who doesn't have a structure enough to manage this resource. And when you talk about climate justice, we are recognizing the inequalities, vulnerabilities of climate change in our communities. So the intersection between climate action and social justice. Maybe yeah. the first principle is to understand that maybe we don't have the structure you expect, that you expect because we don't have team, we don't have the system, don't have the apps, we don't have the last science that we have to receive your money. So mm -hmm. how the philanthropy can shift the mindset to make more democratic this resource, because it's very easy to pay someone that it lives in the West, in New York, where you now, where yeah. you are at. Yeah. But uh, how about the middle of the islands in Caribbean region or the countries where internet is a problem yet. So we, mm -hmm. we, the philanthropy should put this at the center to understand that climate justice places people and equity at the center of the climate action and advocacy. So it's not an easy task, but yeah. I feel that the funders, they have a new, uh, a new intentionality of yeah. deep dive in this new mindset for unblock the resources and me and you and all of our friends and activists across the world can be benefited by this. Yeah, that's such a great point. I love the way you framed it around, you know, this trust-based problem, right? Mm -hmm. Of, um, you know, the normal people that usually get money are probably very similar to the people who have the money <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, because they're they trust people who look like them, who speak like them, same language, same same culture, same activity. So it's it's very interesting, um, mm -hmm. a, a tough a tough problem to crack. But and I want to come back to a couple of things that you actually mentioned to me on our last call um, as we were preparing for this discussion. But um, mm -hmm. you, you've been developing two specific tools mm -hmm. to help with this unblocking, right? As you call it. Um, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about um, the climate justice map mm -hmm. and the climate justice guidelines for communities. Because I think yeah. I would love for people listening to this to engage with these platforms as much as we can, um, but really, really thankful for, for you bringing mm -hmm. that um, to the table. Yeah. So I, I think Firstly, it's very it's very important to be at the same page in terms of what climate justice means to you and to me and mm. to all of us. Because uh, you live in Brooklyn, I live in Rio. Um, uh, yeah. I think our our political situation and also our geographical racial geographical situation is quite different. It's pretty different. So, uh, climate justice to me um, means. Um, a number of black people living in areas that are polluted there where the air quality is not healthy where the heat is terrible uh, and also uh, the black people are dying if they uh by the police what which is a environmental racism so to me climate justice means 
all the genocide against the black population and also the poor population, low income indigenous. Um, and maybe you can agree with me, oh, okay, this is climate justice means the same to me, but also other uh, inequalities and other injustice across New York and across Blue King and the West. So yeah. there is no just one meaning for this concept. And I think uh, looking to the academia and the, the publications and evidence we have today, the first studies on climate justice came from the global north and which yeah. make a confusion because in Brazil, we didn't have like uh, publications or studies or li literature or around this. But okay, uh, considering this, let's do two things. Um, the Climate Justice and Just Transition Donor Collaborative, it, that, which is a fund on climate justice that I, I'm, I'm a fellow. So they, they organized a climate justice map, which is a global map with lots of publications, activists, organizations, podcasts, links, um, features. So it's it's very it's a huge mapping trying to join in just one place what's happening in terms of climate justice and injustice around the world. So there you can find uh, publications in Spanish, in English, in Portuguese, and maybe in French. But it's mm -hmm. a it's like a place for the funders know where they can find evidence and also information regarding climate justice in other countries and regions. Mm -hmm. So we just launched in this retreat that I mentioned before. But Yay. Um, nice. Yeah, <laughs> and I, we felt very happy because it was a collective work. So I did my part in Brazil and Latin America, and other people did in Africa and then in, also in, in America and, and uh, North America and, and Europe. But the main key is like over there, there are some steps and leads where you can have information and also um, be closer of some context that's not yours regarding climate justice. And the other thing that I'm very proud of, it's the climate justice guidelines for communities that we did here in Rio, which is a um, guide for uh, ancestor and social technology. What, what I mean? So why, how the population in Rio uh, living in peripheral areas, suburbans and favelas, they are surviving and invent ways to survive against the climate change. So they are creating their own tools because the state and the government is not providing enough. Okay, let's do it with our own hands. And it's very interesting, Thomas. I wish that you could read in Portuguese because <laughs> uh, we are about Me to translate. Too. Yeah, we are about to translate, but it, it would take a time. But um, can you imagine a man, a black man, he lives in Parque do Arará, it's a which is a favela in Rio, and he's a fat man, and he feels a horrible heat in his house. So, if he used the air conditioner all day long, um, the power, uh, the um, how can I say that the bill of the power, it's yeah. right. Yeah, the bill of the power will be very high, and he he can't pay. So he invented a 
green roots in his house with lots of plants mm. and mm. green roots to make his house simply um fresh and yeah. then it was a technology that he could replace and and reproduce in other houses of the favelas and now he has a job a new job for him and also he has a fresh house and in during the winter he has a warm house as well because the the green yeah. roof has the both um the both uh effects this is just an example of yeah. what you can find in the climate justice guidelines and also like how can we reuse the water of the rain and how can we we reuse uh what comes from the earth because if brazil brazil is a very uh it's a country with a lot of people uh in the hungry map so we need to to have food enough in favela so let's do uh our own foods in our land here yes. if we have a piece of land we can grow things we can grow um um vegetables and then we can eat healthily even if we are poor so it's an example of how the power of the community uh, in face of the poorness can be very 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 impactful hmm. i love that story and <laughs> uh, yeah it's 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 been one of the the biggest pleasures of the last few years for me personally of you know having the chance to to travel and um you know get outside of this american bubble and meet people in other parts of the world building incredible solutions that i've never heard of before and um you know i i think in a lot of ways uh the us thinks that we're going to be able to figure everything out by ourselves in so many different aspects of life but that's just not the way the world works and yeah. um especially with the challenge like climate change that's so global you know i coming up with ideas like this climate justice map where we can all be entering ideas into a common database together and learning across you know mm -hmm. these political boundaries that shouldn't exist um it's it's an amazing idea and platform. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that we we share it with, with everybody who's, who's yeah. listening today. Um, I, I so have, have an have, idea. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. But I have I have a point on that because I, I, I had yeah. the chance to live in the West, as I told you. Yeah. I lived in California for a year and a half. And it was a, a very uh, curious experience to me because, uh, firstly, because California... <laughs> is also it seems like another country uh, yeah, in the west i mean they they feel better than the the rest of the us but mm. also in terms of sustainable uh way to live they were uh, i think uh california in a local level and also national level so they have lots of good practices in the house in the street in the communities in the neighborhood so um mm. I, have you been to have you been to to Sacramento or Davis before or no? I've never been to Sacramento. I've spent a little time in in San Francisco, which is not too far away. But um, yeah, it's not too far. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just mentioning it because they they are uh, they there are some communities of houses that they try to be as much sustainable as they can, and they 
uh, grow together and, and also um, uh, invest in green energy. Of course, we are talking about a very um, good economic context. So people yeah. there, they're very wealthy, but also I think what I want to highlight in terms of positive uh, practices in California, it's like the power of being uh, consciousness in terms of climate change and climate justice. So what I what I could repair that they are aware of the problem mm -hmm. of the political rights and also the injustice around climate change. So uh, yeah. the power of the awareness, it's very, very, very important because here mm -hmm. in Brazil, uh, a very recent research said that just half percent, uh, like 50% of the Brazilians are worried about the climate change and the environmental mm -hmm. stuff. So mm -hmm. half percent, like, okay, it's half percent, but it's not enough. We need more than half percent, like 50%, yeah. sorry. So yeah. I think California and the West, they are more aware about the climate crisis. Hmm. Well, that that's a, it's a good lead into you know, one of, one of my last questions and thank you so much for, for carving out this time to, to speak today, but um, it's been such a, a fascinating narrative, um, you know, for me personally to be following what's happening in Brazil, right. Over the last decade, let's say, um, you know, I had a chance to, to spend some time in Chile last year where, you know, Boris, the young new president, was elected just before I arrived, and the energy was so exciting because you have this new young man who's a leader and he's aware of the climate crisis and wants to um, wants to think about you know changing structures when it comes to the political economy and um, challenging modes of capitalism in Chile, and Brazil has gone through this really interesting transition of leaders and um you know especially with lula now back in power it's i'm curious from your perspective how you have experienced um the environment evolving and the energy evolving in brazil and um you know what what your what your take on all of that is and um yeah i'm just really curious to hear your thoughts so um uh, last year, I traveled to COP27 very happy because I just heard the final results of the elections. So Lula won. I was at the airport flying to Paris and from Paris to Shermanshek. And yeah. it was a very happy moment, Thomas, because uh, after four years of Bolsonaro in the power, we had, we experienced our environmental policies and our Amazon region, our environmental history as a country dying uh, and literally dying. So because Bolsonaro didn't care enough uh, about the climate policies and the climate uh, perspectives, the climate future, I would say, for the Brazilians and for Brazil. And to have a president and Lula has a had a speech uh, at COP27 last year. So to have a president that really cares about our climate future, really cares on climate injustice and environmental uh, inequalities, it's been a dream because um, 
we have to recover and we have a huge work in our hands. It's not easy. The rates are not growing up uh, in, in, in positive terms. I, I would not lie here because uh, the mistakes that they did was really, really bad. But we have the hope to rebuild and to refix our country. And we have to start by the hungry uh, and also the poor nurse. But the climate change uh, embraces all of that as well, as you know, as I know. And now we have a a better scenario, not the best, not the miracle, (laughs) but we have better perspectives and maybe more important, more than that, we have high level people taking care of the minister of the environmental and we have a good a very good minister in the power her name is marina silva she was a minister of the environmental um 12 years ago i think yeah 12 years ago sorry 10 years ago she was our minister and now she's back and she's a very like old lady uh and i I really admire her because she's giving her best to lead our climate scenario in Brazil with with her team and with with me with other activists with other youth um, yeah. movements so we are all the hands are on back and we are trying our best but it's not easy so I hope that when we have this conversation again in a second version of your podcast with me <laughs> I, I can tell you better results because the, the feeling I have right now is that we are trying to fix uh, the mistakes of Bolsonaro. So we are trying to rebuild the abuse, the loss, um, the rules, the national and yeah. um, uh, local and also regional adaptation plans. But right now, the most priority, the biggest priority is to rebuild um adaptation climate action plan that works in the local level we don't have yet so it's our challenge right now not sure if i answer your question but it was like (laughs) this uh retrospective political retrospective that i i would like to share with you yeah no i i i think you answered the question perfectly it's um it's something that i think we feel in the u.s as well of this you know we're kind of in this period of of recovery from uh, the Donald Trump era where <laughs> um, climate was not even considered a real issue. So um, now we are sort of in this process of, uh, you know, passing new legislation and, um, you know, we have this Inflation Reduction Act, which uh, just passed in the U.S. and is pouring a lot of money into investment into renewable energy and so th- there i feel similarly that you know there seems to be good momentum and there's a reason to hope but a, a lot of work left to do um but i guess so in in that regard uh just to close out the conversation andrea what, how how can people get involved with with what you're working on and this global community that you're you're working to build um, where would they, where should they start and, um, how can people, um, how can people get involved with, with your work? Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for the question. I, I, 
I think uh, the biggest challenge, not just mine, but the environmental movement in Brazil, it's like, how can we democratize this topic um, in ways which my mom, my grandma, and my cousins uh, that do not work with this, they feel part of this, not just the victims. So I think uh, the knowledge is the power of many doors and to be aware, the climate education, like read, listen podcasts or uh, watching to the news, sharing uh, uh, real news, avoiding fake news are like first babe steps for being part of this, but also to recognize yourself as an environmentalist defender or environmentalist engineer or whatever you do, like you, if you care about the environmental, you are an environmentalist. So um, it's not just because I, it's my my way of work. So I am part of the solutions, but I'm also leaving the problems that uh, we face in Brazil and in the world. So uh, despite of the knowledge being like the knowledge is power, also. Uh, to vote well, it's very, very, very crucial. It's very key. So uh, we will have the elections um, soon. Uh, it's very important to check what they are talking about climate injustice and climate change, because this is uh, something that will define our future. And if we don't have a candidate that cares about this, it's not a a right candidate for the future. So uh, to vote is very well. And also it's very good. And also I always say that. So please write your reality in your social media, in your notebook. So I think uh, I love writing and I'm a journalist. Uh, uh, yesterday night, over I was overnight writing uh, for my column uh, for the newspaper uh, today. But uh, despite of this, when you write your story, even like climate events or climate challenges or climate problems, there is a power of mobilizations and we can press the government when we write, when we record, or when we uh, try to show in a picture your, your injustice or your problems in your community. So how can we spread the words doing uh, what we can, as we can, with the hands in a, with the hands and the resource we have. Sometimes you just have your cell phone and sometimes you just have your words and your voice. Please use it and let's do it together. Sometimes people say, people just think that just public policy can change uh, the country. And I agree, but also uh, in individual level, it's very important to inspire who lives close by you. So if I'm here today talking to you, someone inspire me in an individual level as well. So, and today I feel able to, to fight for public policies with my communications strategies, but we have a bunch of things that we can do together. <laughs> Amazing. Well, someone inspired you and you're inspiring me, Andrea. Mm. So thank you for for being here with us. And I'm going to make sure that we we attached links to the, the climate justice map um, and the guidelines for communities as well. Because uh, yeah, I think that, and, that would be great. 
Yeah, I would love to share also the Who Needs Climate Justice in Brazil, which is a collective book with a marginalized voice trying to answer this question. I, I will share a review too. Amazing. Okay, awesome. I just made a note about that so I don't forget. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you so much for your work, so Tom. Fun. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for being here. And um I I look forward to the second round, as you <laughs> alluded to, um, sometime yeah. soon. But keep up the amazing work and um, you know, I look forward to speaking again very soon. Yeah, I hope to see you in New York during the Climate Week very oh, yes. soon as well. And maybe we can do some um, podcasts and videos together because I would love to show what okay. you are doing in your community also to my to my folks in, in Brazil. And so sending my best to everybody that's listening to this podcast. I hope you, you are part of this movement that will change the world. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Andrea. See you. See you. Bye. We'll be back.